I'm impressed. You're here the day after Christmas. We're missing a lot of people, I'm sure, for that reason. It's great to have you. Please open your Bibles to Luke chapter 4, picking up our Luke series again. We're looking at verses 14 through 30. That's on about page 859 of most of the Pew Bibles. Some of, some of them, it's going to be about eight, page 810. So Luke 4, verses 14 through 30. Um, we at GCF exist to glorify God through gospel-centered worship, evangelism, discipleship, and community. And we're now returning to Jesus as he begins his public ministry. And I'm going to pray and ask God to help us. But before I do that, there's still a, this is the last week of our book sale. Here's a couple books that have been helpful to me over the years that I think these are 30% off on the bookshelves. Uh, this is The Discipline of Grace by Jerry Bridges. Very helpful. Um, the understanding the role of discipline and God's grace, uh, working through our discipline as we pursue holiness, um, living according to Christ's commands. And this book is called Tactics. Uh, this is for people who want some help with evangelizing their friends and neighbors, particularly uh, in, in an intellectual way. So also helpful book. These are downstairs. And let me pray. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you that you are again proving your faithfulness. The sun is up again. The earth is still spinning. We still have life and oxygen and all of these things because you have provided for us. And we pray that you would provide what we need even more than health and life, and that's your Holy Spirit. I pray you would send him to give us spiritual life, to give us eyes to see what's in front of us. Help us to listen to your word and be humble people. Help me to be helpful. Lord, we pray that we would encounter Jesus as he really is in this text. And he would speak to us and we would respond appropriately with faith, humility, and obedience. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever responded to your favorite preacher in such a way that you're, you're overcome with joy, you're just rejoicing to hear the good news that was preached? Or have you, do you ever respond to your favorite preacher uh, because he's so impactful with, with tears and excitement and overcome with the reality of your sin but God's willingness to save you? Have you ever responded to preaching because the preacher has had such deep insights into your heart, you can't help but go away changed, examine, examining yourself. Or maybe you've never listened to preaching before in your entire life, and you're wondering how you're supposed to respond to preaching. Well, this week, you can respond by texting, emailing questions if you'd like. I'll answer that. But this week, Jesus is beginning his ministry, and he is preaching. He is preaching to us. We know that Jesus has been born. He has now grown up. He has been baptized. He's resisted Satan's temptation in the desert. And now Jesus is preaching. So how will you respond? That's what our text, Luke 4, verses 14 through 30, is going to ask us. Jesus is preaching. How will you respond? Jesus is preaching. How will you respond? Our main ideas are going to stay very close to that question. We're going to look at Jesus the preacher. That'll be the first thing we look at. 
Then we're going to ask the question, what is Jesus preaching? What is he preaching? And then lastly, we'll return to the question, how will you respond? How will you respond? So Jesus is preaching, how will you respond? Let's look first at Jesus the preacher. Jesus the preacher. One of the main things Jesus did in his life was to preach. We forget that sometimes. Jesus is a preacher. But what can we learn about Jesus the preacher? The first thing we learn from our text is that Jesus the preacher is full of the Holy Spirit. Jesus the preacher is full of the Holy Spirit. Look with me at verses 14 through 15. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report about him went out through all the surrounding country and taught, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And if you skip down to verse 18, the first thing Jesus says is this, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. So verses 14 through 15 is this summary of Jesus' preaching. And it's summarized simply as saying, he's full of the Spirit. He's full of the Spirit. And scholar David Garland states this, As the curtain is raised in his public ministry, it's not surprising that Jesus, who was conceived by the Spirit, chapter 1, verse 35, anointed by the Spirit at his baptism, chapter 3, verse 22, and led by the Spirit in his face-off with the devil in the wilderness, chapter 4, verse 1, should appear empowered by the Spirit to begin his ministry. If Jesus, the preacher, was helped by having the Holy Spirit, by being filled with the Holy Spirit throughout his ministry... How much more do we need the Holy Spirit? We need Him in everything we do as a church, in all the work we do. If we want to glorify God, we need the Holy Spirit. If we want to be gospel-centered, we need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit in our worship and in our evangelism and in our discipleship and in our community. We need the Holy Spirit. Jesus, the preacher, is full of the Spirit. And where the Spirit of God is, there will be preaching. So you notice he's full of the Spirit, and what does he do? He preaches. So preaching is really important. But we're going to notice something else about Jesus, the preacher. He's full of the Holy Spirit. Verse 16, we're going to notice something. Jesus, the preacher, is in his hometown. Jesus, the preacher, is in his hometown. Back home. He came, and verse 16 says this, and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. So estimates are at this point in time, Nazareth is about 400 people. That's it. And most of them poor, the vast majority of them. So what does Jesus do? He goes to the local synagogue, which is probably in somebody's house. And he goes there and they have a worship service. And synagogue worship services, guess what it looked like? Like this, pretty much. People reading the Bible, people praying, people explaining the Bible, people singing. Looks like what we do. But Jesus is in his hometown as he's doing this. He starts in his hometown where people know him. Not in the big city, not in Jerusalem where all the religious elites are. In his hometown where he's known You see, being unknown is actually a very dangerous thing people are learning. Researchers are learning why people cheat on their spouses more. 
break more laws, drive quicker, drink more, gamble more when they're out of town on business trips. It's about escapism. They're trying to escape their way of life. They're trying to create a new, new persona somewhere out there. That's what they're trying to do. Because people want to live a fantasy life. They want to go somewhere where they're not known. See, Jesus was and remains fully human. He was a man. He was born of the Virgin Mary, as we've talked about the last several weeks. And he was known. People knew him. He was surrounded by people that knew him, saw him grow up. So this challenges some extreme skepticism that exists out there which is that Jesus is really just a myth. There's no evidence he ever lived. Some people would say that. But this text really challenges that. And most historians, even skeptics, would say, no, Jesus existed. He was known. We must be known. Do people know you? I mean, really know you. Not the one you pretend to be, the person you pretend to be. We must be known by the people around us, especially in church. So young people, don't just talk to one another. Talk to the middle-aged people. Talk to the old people. Get to know them. Let them get to know you. We should all be going to home group. We should all actually share at home group. Takes time, but develop a little bit of trust and share your past, the sins, the struggles, the difficulties. Do it cautiously. It's hard, but that's what is involved with being an imitator of Christ, being known. And there's something else we notice here. Since Jesus is filled, the preacher is filled with the Holy Spirit and he's in his hometown, it says something significant. Small towns, small cities matter. So as, as our culture becomes more and more urbanized, and really the world is, it makes sense that we have and will continue to support missionaries in Oakland and Vancouver, BC, as we have in the past, and Tokyo, and uh, I don't know, Portland. We've done all of that, and we should keep doing that. But it also means towns like Ritzville matter. Towns like Kettle Falls matter. Towns, little cities like Spokane matter. They need preaching as well, any place on the map. And that's one of the reasons why we've joined the the Inland Northwest Gospel Cooperative, so we can help plant churches within a three-hour area and help other churches plant churches. Jesus, the preacher, shows us that small cities, small towns matter. So Jesus is preaching. How will you respond? We've looked at Jesus, the preacher. Now let's try to answer this question. What is Jesus preaching? What is he preaching? If we love what our favorite preachers share, if we learn from them, how much more should we pay attention to what Jesus is preaching? And we're going to notice several things. Several things about what Jesus is preaching. The first thing Jesus is preaching, notice it's almost so obvious it doesn't need to be stated. He's preaching the Bible. He's preaching the Bible. Look at verse 17 with me. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. So Jesus isn't primarily talking about current events. He's not primarily talking about politics. 
He's not primarily talking about movie scenes or social justice, although all of those have a place. And the Bible speaks to all of those things. But Jesus is preaching the Bible, and Jesus knew his Bible. So he's going to read from sections of Isaiah, late in Isaiah, and from a scroll. And scrolls didn't have verses numbered like ours are. So Jesus quickly goes and finds this passage near the end of a very long scroll, one of the longest, and knows right where it is. So Jesus knows his Bible. And think about this book. If Jesus is preaching from the Bible, if it's good enough for Jesus, it should probably be good enough for us to preach the Bible. And what an amazing book, the book that Jesus preaches out of. So what is Jesus preaching? He's preaching the Bible. Within that, within the Bible, what else do we see Jesus is preaching? What is Jesus preaching? Secondly, he's preaching good news. Preaching good news. The Bible is not primarily about rules. It preaches good news to us. It says wonderful things to us. So listen to the good news in verses 18 through 19 that Jesus preaches. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Headlines preach bad news to us, but Jesus preaches good news. He's preaching good news. Liberty to captives, that's good news. Sight to the blind, that's good news. Think about this. That last verse in 19, the year of the Lord's favor, that God could actually be favorable towards people. He's not just ready to drop a piano on you. That it's possible that God is for you, proclaiming good news. And what's really interesting, if you read Luke and Acts, which Luke wrote together, when you see sight and you see liberty, those things are actually going to physically happen in these books. They're going to literally happen. People are going to, blind people are going to be able to see, and people in prison are going to be released. That's going to happen. But Luke primarily uses those terms in a spiritual meaning. People get spiritual sight. People being spiritually freed. That's what he's after. Some of us, as Dave just prayed, are suffering immensely. Some of us, it's obvious, we know those people who are suffering, they have a hard time, but others, it's more hidden. We don't really want to share it. We don't really want people to know. But Jesus is preaching good news to you. Jesus cares for you. He cares for your struggles. He cares for the challenges. He can make things better, and He will make things better. He will deliver to you the things you need. It may not be the way you expect. It may not be in the timing you would hope for, but it will happen. There's good news for you. So how will you respond to that? Jesus is preaching. How will you respond? We're still asking the question, what is Jesus preaching? We've seen he's preaching the Bible, and he's preaching good news. What else is Jesus preaching? Now, this is very interesting. He's preaching about himself. He's preaching about himself. 
So there's Jesus. Here's Jesus standing in the synagogue. He opens the scroll to Isaiah. He reads this wonderful text saying basically the kingdom of God is is basically here. And then he says this. What's he going to say next? Verses 20 through 22. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all who spoke of him marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? Jesus is saying that the Bible is about him. It's about him. Jesus is preaching about himself. He fulfills the Old Testament is what he's saying. So we should be Christ-centered preachers as well. To preach Christ is to preach the good news. It's to preach the gospel. So we need to be gospel-centered preachers as well in every aspect. Now, what does it mean where it's not this Joseph's boy? How many of us have been like, oh, I, don't, I wish people wouldn't, wouldn't relate me to my parents? But what does it mean? It could be an offense. It could be people are like, Oh, come on, isn't that Jesus' son? Or isn't that Joseph's son? Jesus, the carpenter's son? He doesn't know what he's talking about. Or it could be a little bit of local pride. <laughs> Look at Jesus from Nazareth. People are going to know. And it's so good to be from Nazareth if Jesus is from Nazareth. We don't know exactly what it's after. But look how good we are by association. It's possible. But now what's significant to point out is the section of Isaiah that Jesus is preaching from is known as the servant songs. It's the third section in Isaiah where there's this ideal servant doing something. And just a few chapters before what Jesus reads, there's those famous chapters 52 and 53 in our Bible where it talks about God sending somebody, his servant, to be crushed for our iniquities, to bear our sins, to be a substitute for sinners like you and me. If we want to be saved, Jesus is saying he's the suffering servant. He's the servant. This is about me. He says, if you want to be saved, look to me. Come to me. I was bruised for your transgressions. I was crushed for your iniquities. You are forgiven if you're one of my people. I'm fulfilling the servant songs. That's what Jesus is saying. That's what Jesus is preaching. So what is Jesus preaching? He's preaching the Bible. He's preaching good news. He's preaching about himself. Let's notice the last thing Jesus is preaching. He's preaching offensive truth. He's preaching offensive truth. Jesus almost seems to go out of his way here to pick a fight. He intentionally offends his listeners. So let's read verses 23 through 28. 23 through 28. And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth I tell you, that there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over the land, and Elijah was sent to none of them but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. 
And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them were cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. So some backstory here. Jesus is baptized, comes out. He's in Capernaum, which is up north. We don't know exactly what he's doing, up north of the Sea of Galilee, uh, fairly close to Nazareth, but Nazareth is uh, to the southeast. And whatever he's doing up there, teaching, preaching, probably doing some miracles, now he comes home to Nazareth where people know him, and they're like, okay, like, well, prove it. Prove what you're, you're going to do here. And here's Jesus. If you think you're going to start a movement... They always tell you when you're starting a new business, start with your network. Start with the network of people you know. Get them with you and then then expand. So you would think Jesus would be like, oh, I'm I'm coming to Nazareth, going to start this, I'm going to prove that I'm the Messiah and I want them on my side. Jesus doesn't do that. He offends his network. Now, I don't like to offend people. So I would be very tempted, if I were Jesus, to go to Nazareth, I would be very tempted to do exactly what they're demanding, to prove myself. But Jesus offends them. He says this, basically, sometimes God cares more for outsiders than religious folks. See, Elijah only provided for one outcast widow in the Old Testament, in the famine. She wasn't in Israel. She wasn't part of God's people. In fact, she was in Sidon, a polytheistic nation where, where, we, where Israelites looked down on them. He didn't help any of those Israelite women, any of those widows. Many of them died, but he took care of one, someone from outside. And Elisha, when he was the lead prophet in Israel, he could have cleansed Israelite lepers aplenty. All these poor people, for through no fault of their own mostly, outside of God's people, wanting to come back in, not allowed. If only they could be cleansed, they could come back in. Elisha doesn't go to them. He doesn't cleanse them. God sends him this Syrian general, this enemy. This would be like saying that God chose to let your Christian ancestors die when he saved that militant, transgender, anti-Christian activist who practices Hinduism. That's how offensive that is to some of you. In 2016, Georgia Gwinnett College officials stopped student Chike Uzubunam, African name, not once but twice for sharing his Christian faith on campus. See, at that university, they have free speech zones that make up 1% of the campus. It's basically like a little circle you can stand in. And it's available to you 10% of the week, maybe, if you get approval. So Chike was rejected twice, basically forbidden from that. He was prevented from speaking. So free speech is under attack in our culture. So a lot of us are concerned Maybe some of you are up in arms about it. Maybe some of you like to watch people online say all kinds of things to challenge uh, political correctness and so forth. Maybe you want to do that too. Now, I'm all for free speech. As much as it pains me, I'm willing to offend people 
It's not my favorite thing to do, but I'm not afraid of it either. But I want you to again notice who Jesus is offending here. It's not the liberals who don't believe the Bible. It's not the people living the so-called scandalous lifestyle. It's the religious people. It's the good, small-town, salt-of-the-earth, God-worshipping, synagogue-attending Jew. That's who Jesus offends. That's the offensive truth. Sometimes the church needs to be offended. Sometimes we as Christians need to be offended. By the way, you know you're in a relationship when somebody, the person you're interacting with, actually disagrees with you sometimes. If Jesus never disagrees with what you think he would say, you don't really know him. Because every other relationship you have and with a real person, they disagree with you. Now, it's not to say we shouldn't align with what Jesus is saying. We always should. But how are you going to respond when Jesus offends you? When Jesus, for whatever reason, saves that family's child, but not yours? Or when the offensive truth comes to you that you're not being persecuted at work, you're just lazy, and you deserve to be fired. How are you going to respond? We better be willing to be offended. Now, we should only be offended the way Jesus offends, with scriptural truth. So if you're here and you're not a Christian, notice something comforting. As much as, this, as, much as the Bible offends you, it offends us too sometimes. Jesus has no challengers to his authority. He's willing to offend to do the right thing, to make things better. And furthermore, we should all be open-minded here to the idea that God cares for outsiders. Now, he's going to require repentance, going to require submission to Jesus' words. But we better be open-minded to the people that we think are too far away from, from God. He, he might reach them, and he might want us to help. And he's transcending racial and ethnic boundaries, Syrians here, Sidonians. When we look at what Jesus is preaching, it shows us that we're not going to be able to basically please everyone all the time either. We can't please everyone. Jesus didn't. He offended people. We shouldn't be offending people for fun, and it shouldn't be due to a lack of love or tact. It must be because we understand God and want to worship Him more than we want to please people. So Jesus is preaching the Bible. He preaches good news. He preaches about Himself. He preaches offensive truth. That's Jesus' preaching. How will you respond? How will you respond? That's our final question. How will you respond? And there's only two options. And heaven and hell are in the balance here. We're going to see that as Jesus preaches later on. There's only two options. How will you respond? Response number one is this. This is your one option. You can respond with anger. You can respond with anger. Let's see that take place in verses 28 through 29. And when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him 
down the cliff. If you understand what Jesus says about you, how will you respond? Will you respond with anger? That's the opposite of faith here. Because if you really believe what Jesus is saying, if you really believe that even the offensive things are part of the good news, you'll just submit to Him and follow Him and believe Him. But if not, you'll respond with anger. And Jesus says that if you're angry in your heart, it's the same as committing murder. So a comedian pointed this out to me. You ever notice that attempted murder and murder is really the same crime? Just the actual murder is a little better at it than the attempted murderer? They both have the same, the same heart motives. They're same, both after it. And so that's what we see here, attempted murder. It's very interesting. How, how are you going to respond? Our culture responds with anger about everything. We're always angry about something. Always angry. Are you just like our culture? The people in Nazareth were so angry about what Jesus is saying, they're ready to have a church without Jesus. And a lot of Americans are like that too. Be happy to have a church if there's no Jesus there, so long as it says what we want it to say, so long as it sings the songs we want to sing. Don't let that be you. Will you leave in anger if Jesus offends you? In the 1780s, Charles Simeon, he's 23, he's appointed vicar, basically pastor of this church near Cambridge. He comes in and nobody likes him. He's too young. And then, worse, he starts preaching like an evangelical. So at this point in time, churches are built like this, except for there was actually doors that came into the pews, and you could lock them. And people rented the pews, which means you didn't just show up and say, like, I'll sit here this week and there next week. It's like you had your space. It was guaranteed for you. So people were so upset with Simeon when he started preaching the gospel that what they would do is they would lock their pew pew doors and not show up. So nobody else could come in and sit down. But Simeon was faithful. He kept preaching and kept preaching. People started to come to hear the gospel. Lives were being transformed. So they would stand in the aisles. But those angry people that locked their pews, after a while, Simeon's like, okay, well, if they can't sit in the pews. You know what they'll do? Put benches in the aisles. So he puts benches. But the people are angry about that, so they take the benches and throw them outside the church in the ground. How will you respond There's two options. There's only two options. Anger is the first. The other is this. Will you respond with faith? Will you respond with faith? Let's read verse 30, and I'll explain how this points to something about faith. Verse 30. But passing through their midst, he went away. If you really believe Jesus is who he says he is, and does what he said, claims to do, if you really have faith, then you won't respond with anger. You'll humbly submit to the lordship of Christ. You won't try to kill him. And you'll believe that he was spared for a purpose. He was spared for a purpose, that he wasn't intended to die that way. That, it, that there's a whole, there, there's, there's a future for Jesus that's meant to accomplish things. And you'll believe that with faith. And really, this whole episode here that we're discussing is really could be a synopsis of Jesus' whole life. 
Here comes Jesus, does amazing things, preaches amazing truth. People get really mad. People try to kill him. Pronounce a death sentence. Do you believe that story? Jesus is preaching. How will you respond? He's preaching the Bible, and that involves offensive truths at times for everyone. Will you respond with faith? See, we don't know how Jesus passed through this crowd, but we know why. Because Jesus wasn't supposed to die that way. He was supposed to continue to preach for years. He was supposed to continue to do miracles. He was supposed to continue to heal the sick. Supposed to continue to welcome in the outsider. We're going to see that again and again in Luke. And then he's going to die on a cross unjustly. Why? As a substitute for sinners so that we could be forgiven. All he asks for that forgiveness is to respond with faith. The sort of faith that abandons hope in yourself. Follows him. Sort of faith that trusts and obeys what Jesus preaches. So listen to this chorus. I encountered this in a hymnal at my sister's house a couple days ago. I don't know this hymn. Here's the chorus. What will you do with Jesus? Neutral you cannot be. Because someday your heart will be asking, what will he do with me when he comes to judge? That's why if you're Charles Simeon or me or, praise God, millions of other people around the world, you keep preaching. You know Jesus is coming again to judge and you want people to be spared. But that depends on how someone responds. Under Simeon, lives are transformed, souls were saved. That can be you today. That can be your friends and family as well. But really, it's not Charles Simeon preaching you to you today. There is a sense where it is not even merely me preaching to you today. If I've represented Jesus and his message properly, then it really actually is Jesus preaching to you today from this passage. I want Jesus to be your favorite preacher. And it's how you respond to him that really matters. So one more time, I'm going to ask you, Jesus is preaching. How will you respond? Let me pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that it speaks to us the truth of your son Jesus, who he is and what he's done. We're thankful that you've put this in the Bible and we pray that we would be faithful as a church to preach it. We would be humble before our Savior. We would be offended and we would respond with faith when we need to be. God, have mercy on us as a church. Lord, we pray that we would be overcome with love for a Savior who loves us so much, He's willing to say the hard things to us. God, help us. Help us to love our neighbor the way we would want to be loved. Help us to be bold, follow the example of Jesus the preacher. Help us to rely on Him and what He's done to save us. In His name we pray, amen.